Uh, we are continuing our Hosea series um, today, and uh, as I was getting ready for this message, I, I was telling the team downstairs, I actually named this message months ago, which is really weird for me. There's like, there's times where I show up on Sunday and I go, what is the name of my sermon? What do I want to call it? Um, this one I knew well in advance, and uh, as I was reading the book of Hosea, I did this, like any, you know, any good Bible study Christian, I underlined things, you know, highlighted. Uh, I have kind of no rhyme or reason, but I have like some green and some yellow in here. And so I highlighted stuff, and I, I highlighted, come, let us return to the Lord, for, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down that he may bind us up. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will rise again. A prophecy about Jesus, it's beautiful. All these really great things. And then, as I went over it a second time, I thought, what's all this stuff? You know, like I've got this highlight and then that, but what's all of this that I just kind of skipped over? And the more I dove into it, the more I was like, okay, well, that's kind of the downer stuff that I'm like, oh, I'll just kind of skip, 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 get to the good stuff, you know, like we often do. And I thought, no, let's dive into some of that today. And so my title of, uh, the title of my message is, let's not sugarcoat this. Uh, let's not sugarcoat this. And the book of Hosea is not a sugarcoating sort of book. In 1914, in the wake of the tragedy of the Titanic, another tragedy happened off the coast of Virginia. And two ships, the steamship Monroe and the steamship Nantucket, collided in the middle of the night, killing 41 sailors. After a bit of investigation, they brought both of the captains in, and they were asking them lots of questions. And Captain Johnson, he was captain of the steamship Monroe. They asked him about all of his preparation before he left, and finally he let it slip that he had not calibrated his compass. So they went and they checked his compass, and they said, sure enough, it is about two degrees off of True North. And that two degrees, which I think for us, the rank amateurs, I mean, we live in Arizona, none of us are really boating experts, but I think if we looked at those compasses, we'd go, oh, they're pretty close, right? Two degrees, it's just like just barely off. But that just barely off compass over hundreds of miles meant disaster for this ship and for this captain. They said years and years later, these two captains got back together and they just held each other and they wept, remembering uh, the, the, the hardest night of their life where they saw 41 of their fellow sailors die. Now, as a good preacher, I should tell you, like, hey, if your life is off by two degrees, right? Most of you are like, I'm suspecting that's where you're going. If your life is off by just a little bit, if the morality of your life is off just a little bit, it could lead you places that you would never anticipate being. Over the long haul of your life, that two degrees makes a big, big difference. But the other thing I want us to think about with that story is, now, you know, Johnson, this guy, he's, he's, he's on the ship. He, he's, he's, he has no intention of crashing his ship. If you had told him, hey, you need to set your compass right, otherwise you're going to plow into the ship, he would have adjusted the compass, Right? He would have said, oh, thanks for telling me. I didn't realize. I just assumed it was still calibrated. It's off by two degrees. Thank you. I will adjust it. And all of that would have been avoided. This is the gift of the prophetic. This is the prophecy of Hosea. The book of Hosea is 
uh, right in a time a couple hundred years after the splitting of Israel into the northern and southern kingdoms. And if you saw David's nifty timeline, it's really, really helpful. Um, So the northern kingdom split off, southern kingdom split off. And this is written, a lot of historians believe this is written really, really close to when the northern tribe of Israel, the northern area of Israel, falls to Assyria. And they they think that it may actually have been penned months before that happened. There was impending doom, and the people had no idea. And the book of Hosea is this prophetic insight for the people. And God is so good in his wisdom not to leave his people in the dark, but he goes, look, I'm giving you insight. I'm giving you perspective that you're really going to need. You've got to adjust your compass. You've got to adjust your compass. And this is the book of Hosea. It's a minor prophet, not because he's not important. It's just a smaller book. Uh, he's called the deathbed prophet because he's giving this right before the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, his life is also the prophecy. So Hosea marries Gomer, uh, which sounds like a Muppet character. Uh, but no, it's his wife. He marries Gomer. It's unclear whether she was a prostitute before. We, we kind of assume that she was. Uh, it seems like the pattern of her life seems to return to that. Uh, But we do know after he has three kids that she does go into prostitution. And after a while, God says, go to Gomer, go get her out of prostitution, bring her back into your home as a prophetic symbol of my love for God's people. Do it as a prophetic insight for me to show what my love looks like. And though you have broken your end of the bargain, I'm not going to break my end of the bargain and I'm going to invite you back into my home. And Hosea's life is that prophecy. So what's going on at the, at the time? Uh, if you got your Bibles, turn, to me, turn with me to Hosea chapter 13. We're going to cruise through a few things that are happening in the culture at the time. I think it's very relevant for us. Hosea chapter 13, starting in verse 4, it says this. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me. And besides me, there is no savior. It is I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full and they were filled and their heart was filled up. Therefore, they forgot me. God's saying, look, he's using agricultural language, things that would be very familiar with them. He said, look, I'm taking this arid, dry land, and I am bringing in new life. I'm bringing in greenery. And as you're feeding on the greenery and you're enjoying the blessings of this land, you have gotten so comfortable that you've forgotten who I am. You've gotten so fulfilled by the things around you and the blessings that I've given you that you've forgotten me. In this time, Hosea is speaking to the northern kingdom, and they have forgotten God. They've started to turn away from God. It is not a part of their culture. And yes, they're turning to other gods, but even the people that are remaining are turning from the Lord. Let's go to another section, Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says this. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy That word is kind of funny, but it means a legal problem with what you're doing. Like he is bringing up a legal objection to what's going on. Uh, For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love. No knowledge of God in the land. That's a phrase, da'at Elohim. It's very interesting. 
You should Google it. It's awesome. Or Rick, Daniel Riccio, if he's here, he's, he knows all about it. Uh, no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery. They break all bounds, so they've removed all the moral boundaries of their life, and they're doing whatever they want. Uh, bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. I love that word. It's not just that they're suffering. It's not just that the people in the land are suffering. It's that they're tired. They're worn out. They're depressed. They feel like they've plateaued. They've got nowhere to go. They are burning themselves out. And those who dwell in it are languishing. Go to Hosea chapter 7. Hosea chapter 7, starting in verse 14. They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. We're going to come back to that. For grain and wine, luxurious things. For grain, grain and wine, they gash themselves and rebel against me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not upward. They return, but not upward. I pictured this. I, I had like, sometimes you read scripture and you just get this imagery, right? And this is written with a lot of imagery. You're crying on your bed, but you're not crying out from your heart. Like I picture someone just like, like maybe, maybe because I have teenage girls right now, it's like throwing yourself on the bed and you're wailing and you're crying. And, and really what, what God's saying in this section is you are crying out because you're losing your wine and your good food, because you're losing comforts, but not because you want me. You want the stuff back. You've lost some blessing and you're going, God, give me that blessing back. And if you come with it, that's fine. I just want to be comfortable again. Bring that comfort back. So this culture is slipping sideways. The more you read into Hosea, he talks about a lawlessness that's hit the society. They don't respect kings. They don't respect priests. Priests are joining in all the stuff that everybody else is. They're giving prophecies that tickle people's ears, but that's not reality. Like this is the situation that is going on in Hosea. And the thing about this book is that it's saying this is what's happening in the land, but you don't know that it's about to get a lot worse. They have no idea that things are about to get a lot worse. A couple years ago, uh, my family, uh, my, my wife and kids and I uh, went down to Tucson. My parents live there and my sister lives there. And so we were going to hang out with them. And we brought two cars because if you have kids, you bring 10 times as many things as you actually need on a trip. And the two, of, uh, the two, two cars drove down to uh, Tucson, spent some time with our family. It was really great. It was wonderful. And then we were driving back, and we kind of split it up, and my wife and the girls were driving in the van, uh, and my son, uh, me, my son Toby, and our dog Gracie drove back in my truck. Gracie was in the back seat, and we were in the front seat, and we were listening to music, and we were talking about life and all sorts of stuff. And then as I'm driving, I could feel the car start to change, you know? You start to hear a sound that starts to get louder and louder. All of a sudden, I'm going, man, my car feels like it's pulling really hard to the left. And I knew exactly what was going on. I have a flat tire. And so I pull off to the side. And of course, it's summertime. So it's, you know, extremely hot out. We pull off to the side. I get out. It's the first time I've changed my, my tire in my truck. So I'm like looking around. 
Again, I went to art school, so um, this is out, out of my realm a little bit, so I'm looking at it, going, where's the jack, you know? And um, behind me, a police officer pulls up, and young police officer gets out of the car, and he says, hey, do you need some help? I said, yes, I would really appreciate some help. So he pulls out his own jack, we get the truck up, change the tire out, you know, Toby and Gracie are in the, in the car, and they're just hanging out. And he finishes up, and we, we let up, load up the flat tire, and he, he walks away, and he says, hey, have a good day. And I said, thank you so much, you know. We're going through all the pleasantries. And out of the corner of my eye, I could see Toby, he, was, he, he had kind of stepped out of the car, and he was going back in the car. And you ever have that moment where your life just slows down? All of a sudden, I'm going in slow motion, and I'm going, there's some warning bell going off in my head. I'm like, something's not right. And I see Toby's reaching. He's going to open the door. I see our dog is not in the back seat anymore, but she's in the front seat where he's opening the door. And I see him open the door, and I think, well, she's not going to jump out of the car, right? Like, and there, you have that moment where you have almost like a little premonition, like something's wrong, and it's about to go wrong, but I'm going, there's no way she's going to jump out of the car. He opens the door, and what does she do? She gets out of the car. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. So Gracie comes out. And I'm thinking, well, she's out of the car. We'll get her back in the car. No, no problem, you know. But no, Gracie panics and starts running into the desert, just books it into the desert. And I'm, me and Toby are like yelling. We're losing our cool. We're like, Gracie, come back, come back, come back. So Gracie runs out into the desert, and then she comes back toward us. And I'm going, great. Let's catch her, throw her back in the car. You know, day, day is done. She starts running toward us, and then she runs past us and starts booking it toward I-10 as fast as she can. And me and Toby at this point are really losing it, and I, th like, I thought back on it. You know, sometimes you go through something like that, and you think back, and you're like, thank God I had presence of mind to do that. But we were chasing her out toward I-10, and I put my hand out like this and stopped Toby, and I was like, at this point, Gracie's in charge. She's, we got to just yell, and hopefully she comes back, you know. So Gracie runs out. She runs out into the first lane. Luckily, there's no cars. And then she starts going into the second lane, and I'm going, she's, she's a goner. Like, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, Toby's going to need therapy. Like, this is, like, this is not going to be pretty. I got to call my wife and my daughters, and they're going to be like, why didn't you keep, like, better track of her? You know, all this is running in my mind. And Gracie runs out. She stops right before the second lane, U-turns, and comes right back, and then jumps right back in the car. Starts licking your paws in the back seat like nothing ever happened. And my son and I turn over and I look at the police officer and he had been standing there the whole time and he was like this, going, like, what just happened? Like, he just, he was going, I don't know, like, you guys seemed fine two seconds ago and then it devolved into chaos. Um, <clears throat> Toby and I, we got, got in the car and you ever have that sort of thing where it's like something real crazy just happens and then you just have like a flood of emotions and Toby and I were both kind of tearing up, you know, trying to do it in a manly way, of course. But we were like tearing up going, oh my gosh, that was crazy. And it was one of those situations, it's like, had you told me, okay, you're going to get a flat tire, I'd go, bummer. By the time we got in that truck, I had forgotten that I had even gotten a, a flat tire. You know what I mean? Like that was so in the past to me, I was going, this whole story with Gracie was taking all of my attention. And the book of Hosea is that. The book of Hosea is saying, okay, you got a flat tire. That's a real bummer. But guess what? There's something else that's coming your way that's going to really put you to the test. 
and you have to return to me right now. You've got to calibrate your compass. You've got to come back to me if you're going to make it in this season. My wife and I were talking about how I, uh, I tend to be a person, uh, I don't, like, I don't like, uh, like small talk. I could do small talk, I could do a little bit of small talk, no problem, you know, like I go to a, a party or something and I might talk about the, the weather or the sports or something, you know, for a little bit. But I tend to go really deep really quick. I am a kind of person that's like, I want to have a really deep conversation, the problem is, is I pay attention a lot to what's going on in the world, and I might be sitting in, you know, some, some party and start talking to some unsuspecting person who is not ready to hear all the things that are going on in the world, and they just want to talk about the weather, and I dive into things that are going on, and I wake up like halfway into the conversation, and I'm like, I don't think you're enjoying this conversation at all. I think like, I'm like, I'm, I'm okay throwing all this stuff, but you, it seems like I'm really ruining your party experience, and I'm so sorry. And, but that's kind of the way that I am. I kind of tend to be like a, let me think about the worst case scenario. Let me think through all this stuff. And, but I keep coming back to this idea that, you know, in the world that we live in, there's a lot of things that are going wrong. And we know that. We all sense that. But when we talk about it, and it really, if, 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 if it really bothers us, I think we really need to look in the mirror and go, why is this bothering me so much? How much of my life do I have wrapped up in the things of this world? Like, am I getting really bothered by it because it's just stressful for me? Or am I getting bothered by it because it's poking on something that might actually be an idol in my heart? I think the people of God need to be very, very self-aware in this season. We need to really pay attention to our heart. We really need to pay attention to what's going on inside of us. Because as things heat up in the world, we need to be a people that are prepared for that. I love what Kelsey, what she, what she, she gave this quote a couple weeks back. Uh, Abraham Herschel, when he was talking about the situation uh, in Hosea, said this, perhaps it was due to humanity's false sense of sovereignty, to their abuse of freedom, to their aggressive and sprawling pride, and resenting God's involvement. I think that's one of those things, I read that line, I was like, I think that's worth our whole sermon series to just unpack that. Humanity's false sense of sovereignty, how often do we think that we have this false sense of control, that we can control everything going on in the world? How many times do we abuse freedom in our life for the, for the works of the flesh instead of the freedom that we find in the spirit? The aggressive and sprawling pride, a word that these days we, we, we tend to think, we tend to celebrate as a society, but it's something that God very much warns us about. And resenting God's involvement. Are we going, God, I got it. I got it. We're good. We just need some, the right politics. We just need the right things to solve all these problems. We don't really need you, you know. And all of this attitude has built up to this point where this is the terminal stage of the moral decay that's going on in the northern kingdom. And God's saying, set your compass right. Hosea 9, if you, if you got your Bibles, let's turn there. Hosea 9, chapter, uh, verse 1. And I think this is so important before we read this. Um, I hear a lot, and this is absolutely true. Should Christians be joyful? Absolutely. 
Should we celebrate? Should we, should we be joyful? Absolutely. We serve a king that is unlike any other king. Jesus is uncorruptible. He is the perfect king, and he leads the perfect kingdom. Jesus, we know the end of this story. He wins. The enemy loses, and all things get set right that are wrong right now. We know that, and yes, it's good for us to celebrate that. Yes, it's good for us to be there. But I also think there is an unhealthy sort of positivity as a Christian that we can carry if it's not from a genuine place. And we need the discernment of the Holy Spirit to go, okay, Lord, what is the season we're in? What do we need to know? And at this stage in the northern kingdom, this is where it's gotten to. And the Lord, when he's speaking to Hosea in chapter 9, he says this, rejoice not, O Israel, Exult not like the peoples, for you have played the whore. Yikes, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I wish the Bible said nicer words. Uh, Played the whore, forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wages on all threshing floors. Threshing floor and wine vat shall not feed them. Listen to this. And the new wine shall fail them. They shall not remain in the land of the Lord. God's going, look, This is not the time to celebrate. This is the time for sober thinking. This is the time for you to understand that the things of the world are not gonna satisfy you. This is the time for you to understand that the new wine, the thing that culture is going, pick up this new thing, it's gonna be awesome. It will not satiate you. It will not solve the things that you're hoping it will solve. God's going, you are running out. You're plumbing the depths of what the world can give you and it's not going to pay off anymore. It's gonna stop paying off. And he said, you're going to get driven out of this land. So he's going, there will be consequences to what's going on. It's absolutely going to come. And yet, he's going, I'm still here, though. I am your husband. I'm not turning my back on you. I am betrothed to you. I mean, the, the imagery of marriage is all over the book of Hosea. God's going, my commitment to you is still there. You're about to go through something really hard, but I am still your God. You're still my people. Set your compass right. Come back to me, and I will meet you there. I'll be there. Just turn, and I'm right there. I think sometimes we think like, oh, my gosh, it's such a downer. Um, and I get it. This stuff, this stuff is hard. I, there's, I talked to a couple of people after service. I said, I would rather preach on other things, absolutely, but... I think, I think this is something that the Lord is calling us in this time, in this season, to really come to terms with. And to really look at it and say, hey, when things are not going right in the world, when the financial system of the world is a lot less steady than I thought it was, or there are deep ideologies that are sneaking into our schools that are evil and wrong, or I see corruption in our leadership, all of this stuff is real It's something that's there, and if we ignore it, it doesn't go away. That's just not how it works. But it can serve to push us deeper into the kingdom that does not fail, that is not corrupt, that will never let us down. And that's the kingdom of Jesus. I've been reading this book, uh, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, actually rereading it. Um, by Eugene Peterson. David actually quoted it a couple weeks back. Uh, The subtitle is Discipleship in an Instant Society. Uh, It was written in the 80s. I think had he only known how instant our society was going to become after the 80s, uh, 
I, I don't know. Um, but the, the funny thing about this book is uh, last week I saw it's free on Audible. If you're an Audible person, uh, this book right now is free on Audible. I saw it was free. I downloaded it. And um, I thought, before my, before my sermon, I want listen to listen to the whole book. And so I was completely unself-aware, and I listened to it at double speed so I could get through it really fast. And about halfway through the book, I realized I am listening to a book about slowing your life down and listening to God at double speed so I could be very efficient. Um, anyway, if you're an audible person, listen to it. it. It's absolutely worth it. But he says this in chapter 2, and... Um, I think, I told the team downstairs, I said, I really didn't even need to give a sermon. I could have just read you this section. Um, but he's talking about the sickness in humanity's heart. He's talking about when you face things that are overwhelming to you and what the response of a follower of Jesus should look like. And he says this, people submerged in a culture swarming with lies and malice feel like they are drowning in it. They can trust nothing they hear, depend on no one they meet. Such dissatisfaction with the world as it is is preparation for traveling in the way of Christian discipleship. The dissatisfaction coupled with a longing for peace and truth can set us on a pilgrim path of wholeness in God. A person has to be thoroughly, listen to this, a person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out on the Christian way. As long as we think the next election might eliminate crime and establish justice, or another scientific breakthrough might save the environment, or another pay raise might push us over the edge of anxiety into a life life of tranquility, we are not likely to risk the arduous uncertainties of the life of faith. A person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he, before she, acquires an appetite for the world of grace. I think when we look at the things of the world and they're a big downer and we can't even look at them because it's just so overwhelming, I think that is an invitation to respond as a Christian. It's an invitation to respond, and we can respond in a good way, and we can respond in a bad way. As I was thinking about it uh, this week, um, I thought, when you see the world, and you get disgusted by the things that are happening in the world, and you're overwhelmed by the injustice, by the moral decay, when you're overwhelmed by all the things that you see, you could go down a, a few different paths. Number one, You can become a violent extremist. You can. A lot of people choose to do that. They get angry. They get violent. And they go, we need to change this with violence. You could become a violent extremist. You can become depressed and indifferent. I wrote the word Eeyore next to it. I don't know why. I just thought of Eeyore. You could sit around and go, well, things are bad. They're going to get worse, you know. I don't even want to look at it. It's just so depressing. Or you can let it lead you into the kingdom that does satisfy. The choice really is ours. God's not a puppet master. He's not going to choose the right one for you. But Eugene Peterson is reminding us when things go wrong in the world like they're supposed to, our response to it 
is what marks us as a Christian. That long obedience in the same direction. Are we following Jesus? Are we going, yeah, I see that. And I know that that system is not what I'm relying on. Do we look at the news and go, well, yeah, I was kind of anticipating things going south. That's okay. I'm all right. I'm good. And it's not fake. It's not fake celebration. It's not put on your fake Christian smile. It's a deeply rooted life in Jesus that creates stability for those of us that are in, in, in stable times. It's vital for us to understand this. I think the Lord has led us to, to, to talk about the book of Hosea for this very reason. We might look at the world around us and go, gosh, things are getting bad. My challenge to you is what if the Lord says, yeah, they're gonna get worse. But I'm good and I'm here. I wrote this down. The truth is we live in a world that is not okay. We live in a violent, deceptive, and sometimes staggeringly evil world. And each of us has fallen, prone to wander from God. In fact, it's the main thing wrong with the world, and it's the main thing wrong with you and I. We refuse to return to God. We wail upon our beds, but we're not crying out to the Lord. But God knows this. And he loves us in spite of it. He loves you. He loves your neighbor. He loves your coworker. He loves your weird uncle who wants to argue politics every Thanksgiving. And at the very center of our lives and in the very center of history itself is one perfect and uncorrupted king. His name is Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection points to the price God is willing to pay to ransom you and I into his kingdom. Anything short of that message will not satisfy. Anything you think you need to bootstrap to solve the world around us, it's not gonna satisfy. And when we see the corruption of the world around us, it should drive us to our knees in prayer. Go, God, you're, you're the one that solves this stuff, not me. I went to uh, uh, The Sound of Freedom recently. I don't know if you guys saw that uh, movie. Um, but my wife and I, I talked about this a couple weeks back, but my wife and I, after we saw it, we were so overwhelmed. Um, you know, it, it tends to be, I think it's a very kind of American thing, whether good or bad. I mean, a lot of times it's for good, but you leave something like that and you're like, tell me how to solve it. <laughs> you finish the movie and you're like, what can I do? Like, do I need to give money? Do I need to volunteer? Do I need to like quit my job and go do this thing? Like, what do I need to do to solve this? And my wife and I were talking about it in the morning, and I said something just kind of off the cuff that I felt the Holy Spirit used to speak back to me. I, I told her, I said, well, I think we could pray, you know? And I felt like the Lord was like, yes, you can. <laughs> you can pray, and it does things, and it does move. You can pray, you can worship. You can fellowship. Keep being around believers that challenge you, that sharpen you. Don't get spiritually dull. It's easy to get spiritually dull in the world that we live in. Get sharp. You got to do that with other people who love Jesus. And if you find someone who loves Jesus more than you, you should probably hang out with that person. These are the things that they feel like they do nothing in the face of something like human trafficking. And, all, and, I'm, and I'm not saying don't join a 
you know, nonprofit and don't give money. That, that's all, that, all that stuff is really good. But I think a lot of times we discount that our society starts shifting when Christians stop taking ground where they're at. How you disciple your kids matters. How you act in your private life matters. Whether you're in a life group or whatever, whether you're in fellowship and you're not just coming to church because you like the music and the preaching and then you just go home unchanged. No, you have real community, real people that are in your life. You're confessing your sins to one another. These things really matter. And in the face of this dark season that Hosea is painting for the people of the northern kingdom, He's saying, come back to the Lord. Like, yeah, things are going to get hard, but come back to the Lord. I believe that's the call for us in this season. We've got to come back to the Lord. With repentance, we've got to come back to the Lord with, Lord, how do I devote myself more to the kingdom? How do I tell more people about Jesus? How do I get more urgency in my life toward the kingdom? All of this matters. And when you add it up, if you've got a church that is pouring into those things, into their family, into the the church of God around them, into their spheres of influence, when we really take that seriously, you guys, things change. And not because the church is exciting and we've got great lights and all these things that we've built church on in the past. No, none of that matters. It all pales in comparison to a people of God who live with urgency for the kingdom. And what Eugene Peterson reminds us of is when we see the world letting us down and we get disgusted by it, that is actually a tool that the Lord uses to deepen our relationship with him if we allow it to. We're going to take communion together in just a second, so hold on to your your cup. But we've been doing a little bit of time with you and the Lord, and I want you to specifically ask this thing. I want you to ask the Lord, As you look at the world around you, you look at things around you, and whenever you're troubled by the things that you see, I want you to ask the Lord, what is my response? (laughs) Hopefully you're not a violent extremist, I don't know. Um, But hopefully you're not getting depressed and in the dumps. Hopefully you're not doing the fake smile Christian thing where you're just gonna pretend like everything's okay. Hopefully we are deepening our relationship with the Lord. So take a couple of minutes just between you and the Lord. Maybe even pull out your phone. Expect him to speak. The Holy Spirit speaks when we expect him to speak. And ask him and say, where am I at with this? And what do I need to do in response to it? Take a minute.